live from the Badlands of Texas, 360 degrees around the earth from Southern Australia all the way to Northern Ireland, although I don't see anybody representing those two zones in the chat room. You're watching, or you're listening to Midnight Radio on a Fruit Loop Friday. I'm your host, Jerohoshmans. I've got a lot of crazy stuff to go over tonight. I really do. This, I'm telling you, I've been looking forward to this all week. In case some of you don't know, every morning on a radio station, which there's a link in the chat room, we're on iHeartRadio, tune in from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. I do a morning radio show, and I get to talk about true crime. Can you can you believe it? And there's some things that are so screwed up, and I, I don't mean horrible. I just mean so damn weird that I don't... I don't talk about them during the show. Some things have to be seen to be believed. And that is what we're doing today. I have some information about Brian Kohlberger. And then we have BTK and some other things that we're going to go through. And we're going to go over the Kylie Rodney. We're going over the Kylie Rodney lawsuit from uh, Rodney's parents to... Up church. We're going to go over that at the end because I was reading over the lawsuit paperwork and I'm like, oh, we got to talk about this. Now, I, I'm i not a fan of Ryan Up Church. I don't even know about the dude, okay? I've never looked at his stuff before. I stayed away from the Kylie Rodney case, okay? That's where you come in because I know some of you were all into that. There's Grant Williams in the chat room, B Rockin', Lisa Maxwell. I would like to thank our executive producer, Lisa Maxwell for bringing this show to you without her. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm going to say. All right. I'd like to thank DJ Drano for the pre-show. So I know some of you know Ryan Upchurch, and you've definitely followed the uh, Kylie Rodney case, okay? So that's what I need you for. I'm not here to badmouth Upchurch. Don't know anything about him. I literally, since I've been covering people suing him then i went and checked him out to me from what i saw he's a comedian straight up a comedian and yeah he has music too i didn't listen to the music um if you like his music email me midnightrad.io101 and i want you to send me his your favorite songs that he does okay send me your favorite ryan upchurch things so for me to check out all right so i'm not here to bad i don't bad mouth any creator here that's not what i do dealy pickles how's it going dealy all right, we're going to start this right now. We're going to start talking about the Idaho 4 Brian Kohlberger case right now. Let's check it out. Why is it not checking it out? I said check it out. Don't, 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 don't. Here we go. Let me see how you see that. All right, here we go. All right, I'll play this clip. And we'll talk about it. Oh. Steve, uh, Rich was just saying, or Steve was just people's children were killed in the process. Absolutely. Robert Chalk, 
Ryan Koberger's defense team, as Steve uh, Rich was just saying, or Steve was just saying, is raising issues with the prosecution, with the prosecution not turning over all of the DNA evidence. For more on this, let's bring in now Robert Schalk. He's a defense attorney and a former prosecutor. So, Bob, good to have you here. Um, let's walk through this. You've got defense trying to compel the judge, his name is John Judge, to have the prosecution turn over all investigative and related evidence of genetic genealogy. Now, the judge has not made a decision here, but I wanted to ask you, is this a bona fide defense request or is it a stall tactic? No, this is a bona fide legitimate defense request. Under a seminal case of the Supreme Court of Brady versus Maryland, the defense is entitled to information that potentially could exculpate them or could benefit them. The prosecution should err on the side of caution here and elect to turn over this information because this is the probable cause that led to Brian Koberger being a suspect in this case, then placing him in custody and then taking that confirmatory, what's known as a buckle swab, it's a cotton swab of the mouth that they use to get the more specific STR DNA that is used normally in criminal cases. This genealogy and this genetic genealogy uh, information is definitely discoverable. The defense is doing the right thing. And again, unless the prosecution wants to lose this case on an appeal down the road, it seems like they have a strong case here. I would err on the side of caution. The and when I was a homicide prosecutor, always turned this kind of stuff over because this is what causes great cases to be overturned at a higher court. Now, the prosecutors say they do have one more test to present, but that test is still at the lab. So they're, they're going to provide it, but, you know, they can only get it from the lab as, as quickly as the lab can process that. So does that seem like a reasonable position from the prosecution that saying, listen, yes, I have absolutely. more vials? These types of okay. Yes, these types of tests take a long time. There's a lot of paperwork that gets generated. There's a lot of individuals that peer review and review these types of, of cases before they're published. So the prosecution and the lab absolutely is allowed to take their time. It's not a delay or a stall tactic where they'll try to say, oh, look, gotcha, and force the defense into a, a quick trial. The judge would be uh, definitely incorrect and not grant a continuance if the DA's lab is taking longer than normal. Mm -hmm. And the defense called Dr. Leah Larkin. She's one of four genetic genealogists that testified on law enforcement searches of family uh, DNA sites. I want to listen and then talk about it after. If you add a kit to family tree DNA, they automatically opt you in. There is a way to opt yourself out, but you kind of have to know where to find it. It's not obvious. The total database at family tree DNA and the total database at GenNet are both larger than the number of people who Bob, I'm not sure if you were able to hear it, but if you were, what does this mean as it pertains to this case? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about DNA where individuals, I think Nancy was talking about earlier, or whether or not they're opting in to share their DNA, where this would be something that would be discoverable or something that could be used in a criminal case. And I think this is going to be, you know, a groundbreaking case that potentially could go all the way up to the highest courts in the state and in the country for people who share their DNA with the 23andMe or Ancestry DNA. Are they going to be roped into? Are their identities going to be disclosed in homicide cases such as this, where they had no intention of sharing it, or either they didn't opt out on sharing it, or they didn't read the fine print, so to speak, and whether or not a court is going to more or less just allow blanket discovery of that information, which, you know, protective orders would potentially have to be filed if people are scared, rightfully so, considering the facts of this case. So, I mean, it's going to be, you know, like I said, groundbreaking on many levels, depending on how much discovery is turned over and what's allowed at the trial.
<laughs> well, so what do you think, uh, how do you think the jurors see this, the jurors, you, this type of the move by the defense uh, part of the process they're thinking, or could they see this as some sort of sleight of hand trick? You're going to have a battle of the experts in this case because obviously the the information that we as we've seen it and it's been disclosed to the press and in the you know the court proceedings are that this is going to be a DNA case the the sheath of the of the knife on the nightstand directly tied to the defendant is going to be the biggest piece of evidence that they have combined with the cell phone information and the tracking data that they do have potentially placing him at that location but if they were to lose this piece of evidence um, it would be devastating for the prosecution so it's going to be a battle of the experts. However, this is such a gruesome, gruesome homicide, and I do think there's enough evidence that they're going to have that I would tip the scales probably towards the prosecution in these types of cases. They would have to fumble the football, to use a football analogy, you know, to... to oh, my God, this is the most boring crap I've ever freaking heard. God, what kind of interview is this? You're both fired. Get the hell out of my office. Oh, my gosh. I can't contain myself, guys. I tried to. Do you know what they said? No, because it's too damn boring. Jesus. All right, sweet, sweet Pellegrino. Oh, that's, that feels good. That's nice and cold. Uh, lawyers for the suspected Idaho killer, Brian Kohlberger, aiming to dismiss the indictment again against him are alleging grand jury bias. It's the same stuff that they've done before. Uh, one of the main arguments they have is that they're supposed to prove in the indictment that he did this beyond a reasonable doubt, which has never been the case. That is not the precedent, never has been. It's their misreading the law or acting like they are. Now, the question is, and this is what everybody's saying, is this Brian Kohlberger that is doing that, or is it actually Ann? You know, we're never going to know because of attorney-client privileges, but is that his idea, or is it Ann's? We want to know. I don't know if we're ever going to find out. I, You know, I think we might find out if, which it will, in my opinion, which is why... We're talking, right? It is not going to work. I'm, I'm going to straight, straight say it. But if it did, then I bet he would take credit for it if he was involved in it, other than Ann Taylor bringing it up. But there's other things, too, uh, other piddly-ass things. And let's go over that. 24 issues. Some of them have been hidden. In a Wednesday filing, defense attorney Jay Logson revealed that Kohlberger's team was raising 24 issues in support of the allegations. However, the memorandum, including those details, were filed under seal. In other words, you don't get to know. Hmm. Prosecutors whom Kohlberger's team is accusing of withholding exculpatory evidence have until Wednesday to respond. And a motion hearing is scheduled for September 1st. There'll be another hearing on September 1st at the hearing on Friday, August 18th, Kohlberger's team sought to discredit DNA evidence in the case and called expert witnesses from cross-country. Didn't really work out for him very well. In the probable cause affidavit made public in January, prosecutors revealed key evidence used to obtain the initial warrant for Kohlberger's arrest. A subsequent superseding indictment, however, presented evidence to grand jurors behind closed doors. According to the affidavit, police responded to a house near the University of Idaho campus on November 13, 2022, where four students were found dead. Katie Gonsalves, 21, Madison Mogan, 21, Zana Kernodal, 20, and Ethan Chapin, 20. And here's the deal. Brian went to court on, um, see, the 18th. We talked about it here. He waived his right to a speedy trial, meaning they're, they're going to have so much more time to go over everything now. 
I also heard from the judge about the judge that a lot of the people that are called to be the jurors for October were coming up with reasons they couldn't serve, although none of them have been dismissed yet. These are just some things I wanted to go over with you. Grand jurors could have been shown different or more in-depth evidence behind closed doors before agreeing to the indictment. The judge entered a not guilty plea on Koberger's behalf as arraignment in May. Koberger previously said through a public defender when he was arrested in Pennsylvania that he looked forward to be being exonerated. Again, Wednesday, he waived his right to a speedy trial, postponing proceedings that could have begun next month. He faces four charges, first-degree murder and felony burglary. If he's convicted, the maximum penalty could be death by firing squad. So that is where we are at now. Hello to everybody in chat room. Kareen, hello, kitty cat. Hello, Lisa Maxwell, Dealey Pickles, lead with love. Mickest. I predict everything we'll have seen. We have seen. Criminal justice is badass. The language of the indictment would be the language of the criminal statute. It's poetry, I tell you. It's Cooper Coops here. It's poetry. Check this out, everybody. Hello, everybody. I am Dr. Nick. I got some good news for you. She's back. She's been gone, but by golly, gumdrop, she's back. And also, BK is a prime suspect in two unsolved cases. And she's here to tell you all about it. Your girl, Ashley Banfield. I will say this. Carrie is just out of the hospital, and so she's um, going to be by voice only. Uh, she's still recuperating. Carrie, are you okay, and can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you just fine, and I'm doing um, well tonight. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I know it's been a, a rough week for you with your own um, issues, but also then hearing about the dig, which you knew um, was coming. You volunteered to do something that I can't imagine was very easy for you. After 18 years of not seeing your father, you sat face to face with him. Tell me about it. Um, well, starting in January, my dad was releasing news to another outlet about Cynthia Kenny after Osage investigators were going and visiting him. Um, what was happening was that Osage was going in pretty cold, not with much information. And then my father was turning around making phone calls to people after they left, like basically building a case like for why he could be involved in the kidnapping and disappearance of Cynthia Kinney. So this information then was coming out through another outlet. And so I, I had been on record for months saying, no, it was just the 10, you know, just like all experts would have told you until maybe yesterday that it was just the 10. Then um, in June, you know, we found out about Shauna Garber. She, she was found murdered in um, um, Southwest Missouri um, in 1990. And, and, and that one actually really more fits his MO with the bondage, um, the way her body was found and the way she was dumped. So then I really was just wondering what was going on. And uh, I reached out to McDonald County, Missouri, and they quickly got me over to Osage County, Oklahoma, and, and flew me in within days. And then like 
I, I literally met with my Osage team. And then the next morning, um, I was meeting my dad in prison. <clears throat> I can't imagine so, that, that first um, moment when you were face to face. I guess the two-pronged question, what was it like for you? And did he say anything to you of value? Oh, goodness, Ashley. Um, uh, first, like, we just had a reunion. I, I mean, I hadn't seen him in 18 years. He hadn't seen me. We had been cut off for two years. It, it had been letters all that time before that. So it, it took him a minute to process who I was. He's lost, like, seven inches, and he's in a wheelchair. He's pretty much rotting, like, to his core. And so he didn't even necessarily recognize me. So we, we had to have a family reunion. Um, and then I just basically laid it out that I was there with Osage investigators. And at that time with McDonald County, that my team literally was in a, in a holding room and that we were there to talk about serious things. And it was the first time he ever dropped his mask and became BTK in front of me. So did he tell you anything of value or did he stonewall you like he's been stonewalling investigators? Oh, he was running me down rabbit holes. And then when I went back about a month later, he was running me about, down about 500 rabbit holes where you can't get him to focus. Or, you know, I, I, I asked him, like, do you if, if use your intellect here and tell us what you think happened to Shauna Garber, you know, apply that if, say, put yourself in somebody's shoes and he came up with these theories and things, but then he, he gave me an alibi and I'm li literally believing him, even though I know he's a pathological liar. And then I go meet out with my team and they're like, he just lied to you. And I was like, prove it to me. And they pulled up a calendar and proved it to me. And then I was like, okay, he's yours taking like frying because he's literally sitting there lying to his daughter that he hadn't seen in 18 years. They have given them this immunity deal that pertains to this tri-state area where they believe um, at least these two women and maybe more could be. Is there... Is there anything that can actually entice your father to give up any goods? W would an immunity deal do anything given he's in prison for, for life anyway? Well, the, the idea is that if he would take immunity, like it would spare my family from having to go through possible grand juries and trials as like witnesses, his extended family. Um, it would spare the community. Um, my dad basically said maybe he would like to go out like a Roman candle. Um, it's important to understand, though, that it's not my dad pushing these. He's very um, unhappy with what's going on. It's the investigators doing the, the hard everyday work of investigating that or, or pushing these cases. And we're coming up against a man that's playing lots of games. My father does not want to be put in a van and woken up in Oklahoma in a holding cell for, you know, the kidnapping of Cynthia Kinney. He wants to live his life out at the prison that he's at. So that's one pressing point that if he's not going to cooperate, then we're going to do this the legit hard way. And he's going to wake up some morning somewhere he doesn't want to be. That's fascinating. I would never have thought that. I usually think inmates want any field trip they can get. But since you just told me uh, that, you know, Dennis Rader's now in a wheelchair, maybe things have changed for him. Um, I, I can't thank you enough, Carrie Rossen, for joining me tonight. I know that, again, I'll repeat it. You've had a very bad week. This is a lot for you to do this interview. Um, and I think just emotionally as well, I'm just going to say it. Uh, that's it's got to be really rough for you to have to go through all of this at this time. So thank you so much. And I hope to speak with you soon.
Uh, yeah, we'll we'll stay in touch. We're. I really wish Laura could be here to see this. I know she's been miss missing Ashley. We're going to be on this for a while here. <laughs> Thank you. All right, everybody. I want to talk about something. I want to talk about. I want to talk about. If somebody, especially a murderer, if they, how do you say this? I know he got a plea deal instead of um, getting the death penalty. He took a plea deal where he had to say the truth and he had, he did it in great detail. Matter of fact, my chair is falling to the ground and uh, all right. He, he took a plea deal and on the stand he had to take oath and he had to tell them everything that he ever did. Okay. I don't know if this will jeopardize that since he didn't admit to doing this if he did this. Okay. But also when a criminal confesses a hundred percent of the time when they're telling you the most vile things they've ever done, they're not telling you the full truth. A lot of the time there's things that they know that you don't know about. They're like an animal that can smell the fear in you or the truth or what they can tell that you know and they're not going to tell you the really dirty things they've done i think this is a case of that i think his um daughter's absolutely right she knows him better than anybody about the things he's done what he wants what he doesn't want and it could very well be possible that he's done some other things and those other things those other people that he mur he's murdered are going to be real bad we're talking probably some really young people that he's not going to admit to so Check this out. We're going to check this out real quick. This happened in Texas. This happened in uh, Dallas. I was surprised, and I'll I'll tell you why after we see this. I uh, played this during the radio show on Thursday, but you couldn't see the video, so you can see and hear everything right now. Watch this video closely. A man who says he's a maintenance worker waits for a tenant to answer the door. Oh, yes, uh, they came to check your air filters. Um, I'm not sure. This is 3277. Through his doorbell camera, the young man inside, Ethan Rodriguez, tells the supposed worker to leave, says nobody's home, even though he is. You'll have to wait until another day. Oh, much appreciated. The guy leaves, and when he comes back, he brings a gun and a friend. It doesn't take long. All right. What would you do if this is happening to you? Dealey Pickles, what would you do? This happened to you. You're alone by yourself. What would you do? What would you do? Grant, Grant Williams, what would you do? Let me know in the chat room. Let me show you what this guy did. For these two guys to learn, Ethan Rodriguez was home after all why if somebody came to my apartment and started banging on the door i'd give them a buckshot enema uh-huh i was hoping i got him <laughs> that's mainly everything i was just hoping i got him rodriguez told me monday he knew in his gut the guy at the door 
wasn't a legit maintenance man. But he was playing the part. He had the whole notepad and everything. Said he had no choice but to shoot at him once he saw the guy had a gun and was coming straight for him. They told me I let off 13 shots. I couldn't believe it. But then again, I did empty the clip. The suspects, according to police, shot back at Rodriguez before they ran. They captured all of it. It's now viral. Rodriguez told me he's got no idea who these guys are or what they wanted this from him. Them no they the correct answer for those of you that played the game is in Texas, you would shoot and then you would dial 911 later. That's what you do. I'm thinking it was about a drug deal, but they came to the wrong apartment. That's easy to do. That's what I think that happened. And that's not the craziest thing that we're going to look at today. This is the craziest thing I think we have today. I played this on the radio show too. And uh, it's hard to appreciate. All right. Fox News has the worst video sharing software ever, ever. All right, here we go. Can you guys see this? Yeah. Yeah, I'm hearing banging. I'm going to narr- I'm going to narrate cuz I need to. So the police get called because of a burglary in process, just like you guys were talking about Don 911 get out of there. That's what this owner did. And this is what the police found when they got there. Ready? Give me a sec, 3. You got it. You got it. Yeah. Seattle Police! We're checking inside. Does it? Yeah, I heard banging inside. You got it, but one more. Seattle Police! We're checking inside. Make sure it's snowed. Hey, get your hands up now! Get them up. Leave them. Leave the hands in the air. Keep your hands in the air. Do it now. You got a second? Hey, put it down. 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 You got a hammer in his left. Hey, one, one, keep people. Open the door. Open the door right now. Open it open now. Open the door or we'll bust it open. Open the door or we'll bust it open. Open, open it the door. Now. All right. You ready? Okay. Your hands up. Drop it. Chug it, chug it, chug it, chug it. Did you see him chugging the gasoline? What the hell? Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? You sucker, don't put down the gasoline. Sucker, don't chug down the gas. I said, Give me the gas. Yeah, check this out. 
Burglary suspect in Seattle, this didn't happen in Florida, I'm shocked, was found guzzling gasoline inside the garage of a victim after officers broke through the, every time I think about this, it makes me nauseous. After they broke through the home's front door to protect a 17-year-old girl who was alone inside, authorities said Wednesday, the father of the teen called 911 around 11.30 a.m. This is early in the morning. On Friday, a report that his daughter alerted him about a man with a wooden stick trying to break in their home. When officers arrived, the teen was too afraid to answer the door and let them inside. When officers heard loud noises and banging coming from the inside, the home, the police said they busted through the front door out of fear for life and safety of the teen girl and began a search. Officers found the suspect inside the homeowner's car parked in the garage. The suspect was seen holding a can of gas with a hammer in his lap. Footage from an officer worn body camera shows the suspect refusing to obey commands to exit the vehicle, instead beginning to drink from the gas can. Oh, my God. Every time I say that and think about that, I get nauseous. The suspect chugged gasoline as officers yelled multiple commands for him to leave the car. The officers then broke the driver's side window and pulled the man out of the driver's seat. Outside the car, the suspect continued to resist officers, but was eventually taken into police custody. Once the suspect was in custody and being treated, the scene officers found the teen girl on the second floor of the home and escorted her out to safety. Job well done, fellas. I would love I, I I would love to see this in court and to hear what he has to say for himself. I would make sure that he got charged for stealing my damn gas also. Check this out. Half-naked squatter with face tattoos tries to drown deputy during bizarre chase. Over the last year or so, we've been telling you about the growing problem of squatters taking over abandoned houses across the United States. Well, now one Pennsylvania city says enough is enough as squatters turned some vacant homes into drug dens and even set campfires to cook their food. Look right there. Is that, what is that, beefaroni? Ravioli? Uh, Jeanette, Pennsylvania, Fire Chief Bill Fry joins us right now. Chief, good morning to you. Good morning. How big a problem is this? Uh, it, it's been a big problem for, since about uh, 1979 here when a lot of our factories closed. We went from almost 18,000 people down to 9,800 today. So there was a lot of homes left behind. At one point, about 10 years ago, we estimated 700 vacant buildings. We have been aggressively addressing it. And I think we're down to about 250 now, which doesn't seem like a lot to some of the bigger urban cities like Detroit and Trenton, but we're less than three square miles. So that's a pretty big deal to us. Right. Well, 250 houses you would like to tear down. I know you've, uh, you've torn down something like 33 in the last uh, number of months over the last year or so. Uh, but you got all those. Come on now, beefaroni's a San Francisco treat. Actually, that's ricearoni. Others, what's keeping you from, you know, going to court or something like that saying, hey, this house is a hazard. Uh, the people have caught it on fire. It's got to be condemned. Let's let's uh, tear it down. Uh, two of the biggest challenges really are um, deceased owners because there's nobody to hold accountable to the property. And a real big problem we have due to real estate laws is the banks actually. Uh, a couple of years ago when the when the foreclosures were really hitting hard, uh, bank foreclosures would happen and the banks were not legally obligated currently to transfer that property into the bank's name. So they keep the property in the previous owner's name unless they sell it. Then of course they'll transfer it to the new owner. But during that time frame, 
the bank usually keeps paying the taxes on it so it never goes to tax sale oh, yeah. and uh you know we're, we're stuck dealing with it for 10 plus years until the bank sells it or until it gets so bad that it eventually falls down or we take it down yeah that that is a mess so, so i know there's mo you, you guys still have money from the american rescue plan and you would like to use some of that money to tear down some of the houses that are still there i i would think that if somebody owned a aside from the bank if if you came in and you said hey buddy I know you've got that house. It's been abandoned for a couple of years. Here's this amount of money. I would imagine most of the homeowners of these dilapidated shacks would take the dough. Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised, but that probably is the case if we can get them and have them accountable. But unfortunately, that's not the case a lot of times. And the money that we have, we're really fortunate. Our county redevelopment authority. All right, I actually know about this because there's a city next to me that has this problem. It lost all of its jobs there, so there's a mass exodus. So what happens is the parents have died and the children are left with this property, and they are miles and miles away, and they don't want to go to that crap hole of a town. So a lot of the houses are abandoned. It's the same thing with Detroit. Got $10 million from the county ARPA money. I mean, look at this police chief, man. He doesn't have a lot of money. Look at behind him here. And they're using that to address blight in some of the uh, some of the poorer communities around our county. So that's the only way we're really getting ahead right now is by the ARP money. We're not going to we weren't going to get ahead before. We would tear down five or six a year. Yeah. Have you guys noticed the homeless population lately? These are a lot of young people. All right. Now, what president's administration has has to uh, take responsibility for this? Right, the last two or three, right? There's a whole generation of young people on the streets. Yeah. And seven or eight more would pop up. So now we're at an actual advantage to get ahead on it finally. Sure. And it, it's they're not just eyesores, uh, but when these uh, squatters catch them on fire and then you got to send the first responders in there, then their safety is something you got to deal with. Chief, thank you very much for joining us today from your town and telling us about your story there. Thanks, Chief. Appreciate it. All right, guys, things are about to go in overdrive weird time. This is the last story before we talk about the uh, Rodney Upchurch case. We look at the paperwork, and it's a doozy. Check this out. Oh, my God, what is this, a rat foot? Damn right. You guys were hungry with a beefaroni. You're not going to be hungry anymore. An Oakland County man is suing Olive Garden for more than $25,000 after he claims he found a rat's foot in a bowl of minestrone soup at a metro Detroit location of the restaurant. Damn Detroit. Thomas Howe, 54, filed the lawsuit after he visited the Olive Garden restaurant at three little little Van Dyke Avenue in Warren with some friends. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter where. I felt something stab me in the mouth, and it... I wasn't sure. Actually, here, here's a voice for him. Uh, uh, I felt something stab me in the mouth, and uh, uh, I wasn't sure the first thought was a needle. Oh, my God. According to the lawsuit, as Howie was eating a bowl of minestrone soup, he felt a stabbing pain in his mouth when he tried to swallow. He realized an object was hooked to the inside of his cheeks, and he said he threw up at the booth regurgitated and leaned over to the side and found the wall. Yeah. Uh, 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 once I realized that that thing was in my mouth and I was chewing, I puked. He then spit out the object and realized it was a rat's hairy ass leg and clawed leg. When he looked up at his napkin, seeing the leg caused him to vomit again. One of his friends asked for a manager. Excuse me. Check, please. Manager. 
And when one stopped at the table, he said he didn't know what he could do and tried to take the rat's foot away, according to the lawsuit. No, you leave the rat's foot here. A second employee, also believed to be a manager, came to the table and commented, that's funny. <laughs> uh, we don't even put meat in minestrone. Oh, how he then said he called the Warren Police Department and later visited urgent care. I went to the doctor's, got a tetanus shot and some antibiotic mouth rinse. In five enemas, they threw those in for free. The lawsuit says Howie got little sleep that night. In the days following this, and then he felt nauseated, had diarrhea. That's because of the uh, antibiotics guy. And felt like he couldn't eat anything except crackers. In the weeks and months after, he suffered from increased anxiety and depression. Felt like he couldn't eat meat again. And stopped going to restaurants unless he could see the food being prepared. An inspection by the health department didn't happen until two days after how we find the rat's leg in his soup. However, a company spokesman for Olive Garden said a health inspection was done shortly after and nothing was found to be in violation, nor did the, the restaurant ever have any issue with rats. Uh, we have no reason um, to believe there is any validity to this claim, said Rich Jeffers, a spokesman for Olive Garden. Holy crap, I go to the comments section and there's no comments on this one. Thank you, ABC7. You let me down again. What are they saying in the chat room? Oh, my God, I would never be able to eat again. Can you imagine the claws sticking in your throat? Happy Fruit Loop Friday, everybody. That's the cook I got home. Oh, my God, so gross. That's why I cook at home, yeah. I would sue. You know, there's been cases of this happening before. Did you ever watch Jackass? Johnny Knoxville took a poop and he put it in his soup and he was acting like he found it there. People do that and try to sue. He might have somehow had a rat's leg. He's like, hey, I have an idea. Wink, wink. I don't know, though. I don't ever want to eat out again. I don't blame him. It might be true. I don't know. I can't believe they haven't caught the guy. Huh? All right, here we go. Rice the San Francisco treat. It's been one year since Kylie Rodney disappeared from a party at the Prosser family campground. The disappearance of the trucky teen got the attention of people all across the country as thousands of tips poured into Placer County's tip line. Kylie was last seen at a high school party at that campground. At the time, Placer County officials said her Honda CRV was missing and her cell phone was out of service. Initially, the case was considered suspicious, even being investigated as a possible abduction. But two weeks later, and nearly 20,000 man-hours of searching in, Kylie's car was found in Prosser Lake. It was found by Adventures with Purpose, a YouTube-famous dive team. They said it was about 14 feet down. Close Remember that? Adventures with Purpose actually found her vehicle because that's going to come up in the paperwork we're going to read, and it's something that pisses me off. Some uh, something the lawyer said. So if Coop is here, I might ask, if he, if he's still here, I might ask him about it. TD McCoy, uh, he's been following this case. He's uh, been following Ryan Upchurch for a long time. He was going to call in and talk with me about this, fill in the gaps where I wasn't familiar. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. But the phone line is open in case one of you have the ability Close to where Kylie was last seen. And then in October, the coroner's office ruled Kylie's death 
accidental. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office said the 16-year-old died from drowning. Officials said there was no indication of foul play. All right. So it's been a year since. Since then. Here's what we got. David Robertson and Daniel Rodney. Now, David Robertson is the grandfather of Kylie Rodney and Daniel Rodney is her father. These are the plaintiffs versus Ryan Upchurch, and we're going to find out why. I'm not here to talk about um, Ryan Upchurch. I'm just talking about this lawsuit. I don't do that, one. And two, I don't know anything about the guy. That rat slash foot story like sounds like BS to me. The guy probably brought it with him to set up a lawsuit. The pig didn't look like it came out of a bowl of minestrone soup. Well, it might have after he put it in there. I don't know. I don't know if it's real or not. It was not made right. An apology without someone paying you back is worse than them just stiffing you. I think they're having a private conversation maybe. All right, let's check this out while we still have time. All right. This is the introduction. Um, I, I saw a thumbnail by Harsh Reality. I didn't watch the video, but he said, are they just suing for money? He said the things, but the things that he said, did it make it worse? These are the things that Harsh Reality had in this. And uh, why should they sue just to get money? Because Ryan Upchurch has money. Well, this is... Introduction kind of answers that. The right of a man to the protection of his own reputation from unjustified invasion and wrongful hurt reflects no more than our basic concept of the essential dignity and worth of every human being. The concept at the root of any decent system of ordered liberty. And this is from Rosenblatt versus Bear, uh, U.S. 1966. So this is how they begin that. All right. This amendment complaint is filed pursuant to FRCP. We're not going to read everything here. We're going to read most of this, okay? We're going to read why and what Ryan said, all right? The diversity action arises from the defamatory and tortious conduct of defendant Ryan Upchurch, as explained below. Now, I, again, I'm going to say this again. I'm not bad-mouthing Ryan Upchurch. I'm not. I can't. I don't have the information. Plus, I don't do that. Um, I went to his his YouTube uh, channel one time and that was like what the day before yesterday one time and saw a part of a video and he just looks like a comedian to me that's it all right ryan upchurch is a media personality musician and prolific youtuber who has approximately three million hundred forty thousand subscribers on youtube as a data filing upchurch began posting about the disappearance of Kylie Rodney, the granddaughter of plaintiff David Robertson and the daughter of plaintiff Daniel Rodney after Kylie's disappearance in August of 2022 became a viral internet news story. Now, uh, I understand this is where you guys come in that Upchurch is a, uh, he's a country singer, country rap if you're into that. And he is also on YouTube talking about true crime. But again, from what I saw, and it did involve true crime, it was comedy. I don't know if this guy is serious or it's a parody. I talked to T.D. McCoy, who isn't here to talk himself, and he said, well, and this was as it involved the Ictamel case, and he said, but did he really believe the things he was saying? I believe he really believed it. 
And uh, I don't know. That's a question. Did Upchurch really believe these things? Or is his YouTube channel a parody? A parody of YouTube true crimers. Because that's what it looks like. It looks like he's trolling everybody. And that's what he's been doing. And those people, you guys that are watching him thinking he's real, he might be trolling you as a part of comedy. I don't know. That's where the question lies. Or did he really believe these things? This is what I thought when I started reading this. And I go into the things he said. And wow, there's an entire industry of true crime would be. This this is the part that pisses me off and why I told you to remember the part about adventures with purpose. There's an entire industry of true crime would be sleuths posting all kinds of information on the Internet. All right. Now, if is Coop Cooper, you here? Coop might not be here. He just swung in for the first part of it. There he is. Coop's here. Coop, here's my question. All right. Now, maybe I'm just reading it. Maybe it's just with the eyes I'm reading it. And yeah, he says some superfluous things here. This lawyer put these superfluous things. You know, there is an entire industry of true crime would be sleuths posting all kinds of information. Now, it's not necessarily derogatory, but it is a little bit. Why do you need to put this? I don't know. Because Adventures with Purpose, which was a true crime YouTube channel of divers that search for missing people, are the ones that actually stepped up and found her body. So for this asshole to say something like this and disparage true crewmen would be sluice, it's kind of a dick move. Just saying. I don't know what Coop can say can say about that. But when you're filing legal paperwork like this, you can just put whatever you want in it. You can't just stick to the facts. You don't need to accept that maybe you're laying foundation to talk about the national attention it got. Ah, you're absolutely right. That does that does lay foundation. It does, but it's such a dick move, man. Trying to make everybody look bad. So Kylie Rodney disappeared after the party near Tahoe National Forest. Thank you very much, Coop. That's what I that's what I feared. In the weeks following her disappearance, numerous online posters began wildly speculating as to what really happened to Kylie Rodney. I'd like to remind you all again that would-be sleuths are the ones that found her body. As it would ultimately turn out, Kylie died of drowning when her vehicle crashed in the Prosser Reservoir and became submerged below 14 feet of water. No foul play was suspected. So when I played you that last video right there about, oh, I'll, I'll show you, I'll show it to you right now, of Kyle, Kylie Rodney. You can look in the, uh, the chat room, not the chat room, the comments below it. And... And here's what some of the people think. They do not believe what is being put out about this. For example, please, someone look into this case further. It was not an accident on uh, Rodney's behalf. This child deserves to have the truth out there and those responsible for her demise held accountable per law. All right. Kylie's case is very suspicious. NCSO said it was an accidental death due to drowning and no foul play was involved. But there are too many things that make this case look like foul play. Like she was found in the cargo area of the CRV with a foot passenger window all the way down and the rear driver's seat window halfway down. 
Then there was the autopsy that said there was no water found in her lungs or stomach. Then when law enforcement pulled the CRV out of the prosser, the mistakes they made were obvious. So there's things like that, and I don't know, and you don't know, unless you've been following this case, if that's true about the lungs or not. Someone on a YouTube video could have just said that. So these are the things that are out there. But the parents, the grandfather, they know. They know the truth. As it would ultimately turn out, Kylie died of drowning when her vehicle crashed in the reservoir and became submerged below 14 feet of water. No foul play was suspected. Ryan Upchurch was a prominent figure in this wild speculation. After Kylie Rodini, uh, Kylie Rodney's body had been found, and after authorities had publicly stated that an autopsy had confirmed her identity, Upchurch uploaded several videos making outlandish claims, including that Kylie Rodney, Daniel Rodney, and David Robertson were not real, and that the entire tragic episode was a scam by Kylie's family to raise money on a GoFundMe website. Guys, I'm going to tell you this right now. Coop's still here. Great. Coop, we went over the Ickmel and Ryan Upchurch. We already talked about that in that case and other defamation cases that I myself have been involved in telling someone else to stop. So I do have history and information on this behind the scenes, and that is you have to send a cease and desist order. As I go through this, I do not see that there is any cease and desist order that was given to Upchurch. My question is this, and they are framing this, and as we go through it, you'll see that this is a grievous thing that, and, and that's them, their words, not mine. This is a grievous thing that Ryan Upchurch did here, and if Something is so grievous, do you not have to send a cease and desist? Can you just go right for the lawsuit? That's my question. I'll take my answer off the air. Upchurch also published images of David Robertson and further published Daniel Rodney's former home address to his 3 million subscribers. Mr. Upchurch is a loyal following of viewers who refer to themselves as Creek Squad. Wouldn't this be great, guys, if someone's ever suing me? And it says, and they, and he refers to his viewers as the Fruit Loops. He must be insane. Upchurch directed the Creek Squad to search for Kylie Rod, Rodney's vehicle and posted Google Earth images of Daniel Rodney's former home, falsely stating that he had found Kylie's car there. And again, I don't know. I do not know. I'm not an expert regarding Upchurch, but it looked to me like he is a parody of a true crimer slash comedian. And I'm not saying it's funny or not, but did he believe it? While generating hundreds of thousands of views on his videos relating to Kylie Rodney's disappearance, Upchurch promoted his own music, often uploading new music content between videos on the Kylie Rodney case. Daniel Rodney essentially went into hiding and made substantial investments in home security, surveillance, cameras, Several squad members made outlandish videos of their own. One self-admitted Creek squad member named Julio made several videos under the moniker and All-American Cartel LLC production. Julio posted videos of the Lost Trail Lodge, a vacation resort operated by David Robertson. In one of these videos, Julio speculated 
that the Rodney Robertson family was performing child sacrifices at the lodge as part of a religious cult. Oh, my Lord. Some of these things sound so outrageous when we go through them, but I've seen YouTubers talk about things just like this all the time. And back to Coop. So, if you send a cease and desist letter, you're now on legal notice of whatever harm I'm alleging you're causing me. Okay. If guys, if you get a cease and desist letter from a lawyer, not an email, not a phone call, you better take it seriously. All right. It's time to take it seriously. And uh, if you don't know what the hell you're talking about, just take it the hell down. Let me give you an example here. Let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about them. All right. In one of these videos, Julio speculated that Rodney uh, Robertson family was performing child sacrifices at the lodge as part of a religious cult. All right. Now, here's how Smimmons operates. Let's say somebody calls me, one of you Fruit Loops emails me, gives me a tip, says, hey, the Robertson family was performing child sacrifices at the lodge as part of a religious cult. I'm not just going to come on here and say, guess what, guys? I got this information. No. What would any reasonable person do like oh my god really and especially if it was someone close somewhere close to me and you don't say oh every everything is fake i would actually try to verify that those are some major allegations all right i would try to verify that and then if it's true oh my god then you talk about it you don't just say something wild with no proof other than getting the facts from your own cheeks and i'm talking about the ones you sit on several quick Creek squad members flooded the lodge's internet profile with negative online reviews. The negative attention directed to David Robertson and his lodge caused him to suffer financial losses. Yes, it would. Yes, it absolutely would. And he could prove this by showing what his income was from the same time last year. Let me go back, see what Coop has to say here. Certainly not a pre- Certainly not a prerequisite to filing a, a suit. Okay, okay, really. Not a prerequisite. But at least when you when you hire a lawyer and you send the cease and desist, they know your your lawyer's ready and you're not playing around. Maybe that's it. The negative attention directed to David Robertson and his lodge caused him to suffer financial losses. David, and I'm just gonna call him Mr. Robertson and Dave and Daniel from now on, because I'm tired of saying their full names. So Dave and Daniel have each experienced extreme emotional duress attributable to upchurch postings, compounded their already profound grief, the tragic loss of their granddaughter and daughter. This lawsuit seeks to uphold church accountable. Okay, I'm going to go on to some of the things he said. And it talks about where there are citizens. It talks about the amount of money, how they want to have it tried in California, because upchurch is in, um, this took place on the internet, and upchurch is in uh bah, 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 bah. where's he at it's in tennessee honky-tonk place <laughs> what is <laughs> with the music you know and the guitars and stuff upchurch posts his first video about kylie rodney on august 13 2022 and soon accuses fellow youtubers of involvement in kylie's death ryan upchurch began posting about kylie rodney on youtube august 13 it's 13 2022 at this time the whereabouts were unknown in these videos he offered outlandish theories of the truth of what happened to kylie upchurch initially theorized that a person named ronnie who was a caller to you to show hosted by 
Ikmel was a red herring and a made-up character. In a comment, reply to this video, red flag, Ronnie number two, a YouTuber posted, dude, be careful, man. You're going to get sued for slander. Like, oh, for real. Up, church, reply to this user, they can slander these nuts, LOL. Screenshot below. In a video posted on August 20th, Upchurch falsely claimed that various other YouTube true crime, true crime would be sleuths, including YouTube personalities ZenimeX and Ikmel were responsible for or somehow involved in the death of Kylie Rodney. In the video titled Exactly What I Think Happened to Kylie Rodney, Upchurch suggested that ZenimeX and Ikmel were responsible for the disappearance of Kylie Rodney, stating... If you look at the timeline of Kylie being there, Ronnie seeing that and hers and my ex having a video of the party, isn't it possible that they took her, which is why no kids seen this? And if that's what happened, that would explain why Ickmail is acting crazy and being like, look, everyone, Ron is real. The same day, August 20th, Upchurch uploaded a different video, this time wildly speculating that Ickmail was a sex trafficking code word. Both Ikmel and ZenimeX were subjected to online harassment by self-admitters, by self-admitted followers of Upchurch. You know what it looks like to me? And when I read what he said, I hear it like that in my head. He's trolling everybody. He's a comedian and he's a parody of a true crime video. And everybody and, and unfortunately a lot of people are taking him serious. That's what it looks like to me. I'm not, I don't watch it. I wasn't involved in it. I stayed away from the case. What do you think? No? And then, wait, who are you talking to? This is some real information here from Coop. There are statutory causes of action against certain defendants that may require you to give some administrative notice, but a cease and desist is pretty meaningless. Well, damn, Coop. No, it then shows that they're knowingly continuing to do whatever tortoise act you're alleging they're doing and demanding that they stop. Well, yeah, don't you need to have that for the lawsuit? And when you do something on purpose to harm someone else, the damage exposure is many, many times higher. Well, hell, I'm still going to file them then, as opposed to negligently on accident. He is just so damn articulate. You guys heard it. You heard it from Coop. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to this. You're getting real-life information from a real lawyer, not me. I'm just an actor or whatever the hell I am. I'm a writer, actually. So phone number is 325 if you want to leave a voicemail message about the things we've gone over today. I'm out of time for today, but I'm going to be back tomorrow. Please throw a dog a bone, hit that like button. We're going to finish this and go over a lot more tomorrow. If you're a member, if you're not, there's uh, it's pinned in the chat right there. Hit that. You can become a member for our members only chat. We're going to have on Saturday, which is going to be very lengthy. Thank you guys. I appreciate it very much. You're tuning in. I got a lot of cool stuff planned for you. We're going to go over this. We're going to go over the rest of this. We're going to go over it really nice and slow for the next four hours. next four hours i'm going to be on our radio station tuning uh spinning the hits i'm going to give you a link right now in the chat room you can find it right below this video i'm hiring djs right now that's not a joke if you need a job you ever thought about being a dj now is your chance 
uh, go to my website, midnightrad.io for more information on becoming a DJ. Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it very much. Again, we're going to go over all this tomorrow and more. I got more, I got a video coming out about something they found in Brian, Brian's car that I didn't believe before I got some, a little bit of verification about that. And it freaked me out. I'm going to do a video about that. Thank you guys very much until next time. Good night. God bless. Tune to the radio. Check it out. Thank you, Coop. Let's see. Let me not miss anything Coop said. You'll typically see cease and desist preceding preliminary injunction or restraining order action. Yes. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Until next time, all my best. Website, midnightrad.io, phone number 325-261-089. I will be here 5 o'clock, 5 p.m. tomorrow, live for members only. So go ahead and become a member, guys. Go ahead and become a member. Coop says, my obligation literally in written rules governing the profession to zealously represent clients often is left to them how zealously they want to be represented. And on that note, we are out. Thank you, Coop. That is Coop from Mecca, like a high Mecca Heine law. The real name has been hidden to protect the innocent. Yeah.